Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. I've just heard an amazing statistic. In crypto, over the last year, there could have been as much as $120 billion extracted from investors in elaborate and highly coordinated pump and dump schemes. To put that in some context, that's about six times as much as is estimated to have been paid in ransomware attacks over the same time period. This information comes from my guest this week, Evan Coleman. He's founder and CEO of a new company called Cloudburst Technologies. Before Cloudburst, Evan founded a company called Flashpoint Intel and made his living tracking and investigating the people who occupy the darkest corners of the internet. Along the way, he discovered crypto and noticed an amazing amount of value being extracted by some very sophisticated operators. He decided to start Cloudburst to detect, track, and trace this large-scale market manipulation. For more on these topics and all things crypto crime, check out the show notes to download your copy of the 2023 Chainalysis Crypto Crime Report. And if you'd like to meet the team behind the report live and in person, then you're gonna need to join me in New York City, April 4th and 5th, for the Chainalysis Links Conference. And I recommend you get your ticket today because I'm expecting the conference to sell out soon. You can find all the details in the show notes. Today, we're gonna dive in on a question that I've had since getting into crypto two years ago, which is how much of activity on the blockchain is legitimate versus market manipulation. It feels like if you spend any time in a Discord channel, there's always somebody in there promoting a new token or a new protocol or some way to get rid quick and I've always been a little bit suspicious of this so today I'm joined by Evan Coleman who's the CEO and founder of Cloudburst Cloudburst is a new startup focused on this topic of market manipulation Evan welcome to the show thank you so much for having me so I'm gonna imagine you guys just launched out of stealth a couple months ago most people listening to the podcast have not heard of Cloudburst yet maybe just give us the the 32nd preview of what you're building and why this is so important for the time that we live in today and in, in this world of cryptocurrency sure so i mean look market manipulation not just in the crypto world but in the broader world it's not really a secret i mean there's headlines every day about like gamestop and amc and and how even in the mainstream equities world people are manipulating the market through mass action on social media on the deep and dark web in crypto it's even worse because these assets are even more volatile and what we're seeing is that there's millions of people out there on the internet who are forcibly moving the price of these cryptos and it's not small market cap tokens it's the ones that people know about and you probably own and that is what's remarkable is they're moving the market up to 500 percent over various periods and they're pulling in a ton of money and what's amazing is, is that nobody is really tracking this properly and that's where the impetus came for what we're doing now so give us the high level and we'll get way into the details as we get into the podcast but like what is cloudburst doing about that problem because what you just described is frightening it's a suspicion that i've had over the last couple of years but i didn't have a good quantification of it you just put some numbers behind it that this is very big very real what's the solution what are you what are you guys working on sure so basically look it's exactly as you said out there in the deep and dark web on social media there are these groups there are channels there are chat rooms where millions of people are gathering in a single room. What they're doing is either they're doing what we call like a crowd pump or a flash pump, where out of nowhere, someone will post the name of a commodity and everyone will kind of rush in to try to buy that commodity, either in a specific exchange or just broadly, and will start moving the price over the space of 
sometimes five to seven days or longer. Then there are, of course, the ubiquitous and fairly well-known countdown pumps, the time pumps. And I think some people may have seen this. This is where they say, okay, in seven days at this exact time, we're going to post the name of a commodity here and you need to buy it. And this is going to be the exchange we're going to target. This is the paired base currency. You got to be prepared for that. Get money ready. And then they'll do that countdown at the very last moment. They'll post the name of the crypto, right? Now, sometimes what they'll do is they'll post it in the form of like an image. So it's sort of like difficult to read. As it happens, our background, the background of the folks at Cloudburst is scraping data from the deep and dark web. We're really good at this. We have a lot of experience in this and we know how to get this data real time. That's the challenge, right? Getting this within yeah. seconds because otherwise it's meaningless, right? That's so, right. If you get it two months later, it's like, well, that was interesting research, but you're not doing anything about it. Right? Two months, but you know, even two hours, honestly, this stuff is okay. fleeting. I mean, you really need to have it right now within milliseconds. So we yep. take that data and we parse it and we break it down. And we understand from like a broader perspective, the folks that are doing this, looking at the market, are they actually effective at what they're doing? Are they really moving the market? What's the price differential? And then we're creating scores, reputation scores to understand, okay, this person is advertising a pump, but you know something, they're never successful. So this is meaningless. We can avoid this. This pump is being advertised by somebody who really knows what they're doing and has a tremendous effectiveness in terms of moving the market. This is something we need to pay attention to. And by doing that, we can actually read the market before it happens. We know what these folks are going to do because they move in patterns. Thinking about this in, in a broader perspective, I'm sure most people think pumps happen all the time during the day. It probably doesn't, there's probably no pattern, right? But there is, as it happens, most, if not all of the pumps take place between about 8 a.m. Eastern time, New York, and about 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern time, New York. Why is that? You're kidding. They're targeting North Americans. They're targeting uh... people on the East Coast of the United States. They're targeting Wall Street. When you're thinking about this, this is very targeted. And when you start looking at the kind of network charts, these folks are moving in cartels. They're moving in an organized way. And nobody knows about this. You know, you have the organizers who know everything. You have the yep. participants who know some things. And then the rest of us, and we kind of see the market moving in these arbitrary ways, and we don't really know what's going on. We can track all of that. And thus our API is able to alert our customers before this happens. We know where the price is going to know. We're going to go. We know where the volume is going to change and we know who's doing it. This is fascinating. I mean, my own experience getting into crypto two years ago, it was a little bit surreal. Now, this was in the up only period of 2021, but I would have friends, you know, former colleagues out of the blue reach out and go, Ian, I'm thinking about buying this token. What should I do? And it was a little bit scary because I'm clearly not the person you want to take financial advice from, right? <laughs> and, and I didn't have any insider information. So I would very quickly say, look, my perception is that if you're not in the inside circle who's driving the market you're the exit liquidity like don't touch it that's exactly right I mean that's where the money is coming from and if you think you're in the inside circle and it's a really big group of people you're actually still the exit liquidity like, like yeah. there's a very small number of operators who are really truly gonna reap the profit and even the supposed insiders are actually still probably gonna take a loss and then the general market who's trying to watch charts or look at technical and fundamental analysis they're almost certain losers right I mean is that consistent with what you guys have been able to see I think what you just said is exactly this if you're trying to read off a chart 
and trying to understand where the market is going. You're trying to understand volatility that has no logic or rationale to it. Like these folks are just doing this through action. It's not because the crypto has suddenly really appreciated in value and the money that you're paying to buy it, <clears throat> that money is going to line their pockets. There is $120 billion of volume per year that's being sucked out by online crypto pumps and dumps. We're working with an academic team at the University of College London, and they looked at 5 million deep and dark web messages that we had gathered. They looked at the data from it, they processed it, they look at the market pricing and the volume and the change in pricing and the volume. They concluded it's $120 billion in volume per year. That is six times the money that is lost in ransomware. It is a huge amount of money. And get, again, look at what they're targeting. They're targeting North America. So guess who's paying that price? It's mostly people in the United States. It's interesting that there's not greater outrage about this. Like you don't actually hear anybody screaming, jumping up and down, making a big deal. Like I, I lost all this money. Is, is that like a personal investment sort of shame? Like, oh, I picked the wrong one and it went down or people making just enough that they're not mad about their losses? Like any any idea why well, that would be? Look, people are mad about their losses. They just don't know okay. who to blame, right? They don't yeah. know why. It's this kind of yeah. like mystery show with this like black box and you have no idea what's going on. Oh, it went down. Why? I don't know. And because no so one can, can Cloudburst see, see who, who some of these actors are? I saw a post that you dropped on LinkedIn recently. We'll link to it in the show notes for everybody else. But you started talking about being able to collect KYC data for a lot of these actors you're presumably identifying in some of these dark web forums. Did I catch that right? It, you caught it exactly right. So again, our background is hunting for people, right? It's hunting the bad guys. That's what we come yeah. out of. That's our modus operandi. So in addition to try to monitoring the market, we're trying to understand who these folks are and not just the organizers because that you look, that's very interesting, the organizers, but it's also about the participants because while there's thousands of organizers, there's hundreds of thousands, millions of participants. And why are these people participating in this? What is their goal here? And yeah. if you start looking at the geographic spread, because we can get a ton of information out about who's doing this and why, because of the fact that we're not looking at the blockchain, which is very kind of sterile, right? It doesn't tell you about intent. There's nothing about right. why someone is doing that. But the deep and dark web tells you a lot about intent, it tells you a lot about why and how and who. And so we can even see phone numbers of the people that are doing this. And as a result, we get a better picture of where they're located. And sure, look, what's the number one country that comes up in terms of geographically located right now? Sure, the United States, hands down. Let's not even beat around the bush about that, but that's not surprising. The number two country that so far we've been able to identify users from will come as a surprise, I'm sure of it. Okay, let me take a guess before you say it. No, I, I already said it. You see that, I, I spoiled uh, a surprise. What can I say? I talked over the top of you, say it again for us. Saudi Arabia. You're kidding. Not something you would have thought of. Number three, I believe, is like Iran. Okay. And then like, it's like Yemen, Iraq. You know, the countries that start coming up here, it's like a FinCEN investigator's dream come true. Like, what are yeah. these people doing? And I think that's one of the bigger questions here is, is like, who is organizing this? Why are people doing this? Who is taking the money out? We talk about all of these different kind of get rich quick schemes in terms of cryptocurrency and the Web3 universe. And we know that it's not just scam artists. It's not just ordinary scammers that are doing this. It's also organized criminal organizations and others yeah. that are even further up the chain. And understanding that this is a global phenomenon. There are people that are in rotation 
rogue states that are doing this, that are people in states where there are sanctions applied to it. This starts getting very interesting very fast. If I had guessed, my guess would have been Russia <laughs> as the location of most of the organizers. Well, but I have good news it for sounds you. Like, yeah. Russia is in there too. Okay. <laughs> we don't want to leave them out either. Maybe we should rewind a little bit because I think it's important for people to understand the context that you came to create Cloudburst from. So you were a co-founder at a company called Flashpoint and built that company over a decade. And for people not familiar with Flashpoint, preeminent dark web collection specialist. Tell people what that means. What were you actually doing for clients? Sure. So, I mean, I got the somewhat unwelcome nickname back about 10 years ago as the terrorist search engine. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's great. What, what a, what a great, great way of introducing myself on dates. So what did we do? We looked at Russian hackers. We looked at terrorist organizations. We gathered all this data and built sort of like a Google for the deep and dark web. That's sort of what Flashpoint is. It's about yep. cybersecurity. It's about terrorist threats. It's about all of that. And again, Flashpoint started my second bedroom here in New York in the West Village, right? So it was, <laughs> it's kind of weird now that the company has like around 400 employees and stuff like that. It's a very strange thing because at one point it was like me in my underwear. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's, um, this was sort of a, a, a genesis of us understanding that cyber intelligence is this huge universe. Mm -hmm. And you know, while Flashpoint occupies a very important piece of it, there's a, it's a huge universe. And I think Chainalysis sort is sort of one of the exceptions to the rule in that Chainalysis sees itself, I think, as an intelligence company, right? Not just a crypto fraud company, but an intelligence company. And I think a lot of the folks that are in this universe, they still think of themselves as crypto fraud or whatnot. This is cyber intelligence. We're part of the cyber yeah. intelligence universe. We're trying to use information from kind of the internet and from online worlds to better understand trends like fraud, physical threat, et cetera, et cetera. That is sort of the general market that we're in. You hit it on the head there in terms of the description of chain analysis. Like what I, when people say, oh, what do you guys do? I say, well, we take all this online transaction activity that's public and we connect it to real world entities so that it's useful to humans to understand what's going on. And the process of doing that, it's, it's an intelligence gathering operation basically. So completely agree there. So how did you go from Flashpoint, which was not crypto specific? No. I mean, we have a partnership with Flashpoint here at Chainalysis. Like, we incorporate a lot of your dark web intel into our product. And there's certainly an intersection, I think, between crypto and the dark web. But what brought you to crypto and ultimately founding Cloudburst? Sure. So, you know, my role at Flashpoint really was to look for new sources of data in the deep and dark web that would be interesting to customers, to clients, or just for development purposes, you know? And it was really around the time, I think, of COVID, everyone's favorite time, that I was sitting at home by myself. and I, As we all were. As we all were. <laughs> and starting to come across these odd channels on Telegram, on Discord. You know, look, we were used to seeing some pretty odd stuff on Telegram and Discord. People are selling like pink powder to, pe to random people in Ukraine, right? But these channels were unusual because they had like 4 million people in them, each one, which by the standards of most of these technologies is very rare. It's hard to get that number of people in a single room. And yeah. for me, anytime you can connect back the loss of money directly to the deep and dark web, that's very interesting because that's a direct connection that everyone understands. But looking at this, I think, look, the natural question when you first look at this is, look, is it all shit coins? Is this all, you know, penny stocks that nobody cares about? These are you know, the bottom feeders of the universe that no one really cares about. And so I started looking into it and 
and I started looking into what they were pumping, what these folks were manipulating, which cryptos they were trying to move, and how much they were trying to move in it. You know, I started realizing these guys were, they weren't just kidding around. I, I remember one organizer back last April, they boosted one particular crypto, and afterwards they posted a message in the channel and they said, look, we're really sorry, it was a complete failure, we only moved the price by 50%. It wasn't the 500% that we were targeting. <laughs> That's their definition of failure, 50%, right? Yeah. So if you understand- In a period of days probably yeah, too. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's yeah. the other remarkable thing is, is that when we started this, we assumed that these pumps are lasting for what? Like a minute, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it is. And I guess that's been the other major revelation that we've come across through looking at the data is, is that some of these pumps are lasting for like a week, week and a half or more. It's just incredible how much money is, is going through the market. It, these are not the conclusions we expected to make and they are sort of eye popping. It's really fascinating because when I think about pump and dumps, the first thing that comes to mind is that movie Boiler Room. <laughs> One of my favorites, right? by the way. You, yes. Yeah, it's such a great movie. And, you know, so you get a bunch of people who are locked in some Long Island warehouse. You know, everybody's got a telephone and they're calling up people and trying to sell some penny stock to them. And if they could move the price, you know, 20, 25% and then dump their holding, like, hey, we all made a good profit, move on to the next target. The scale you're talking about here is multiple orders of magnitude larger. I mean, 4 million people in a telegram room who are in on the pump, suddenly you take their, their combined social media outreach, right? We're not using telephones here. We don't have to have a directory of people and actually get them on the phone. People are eagerly signing up for you know, YouTube channels and other Telegram and Twitter channels to hear about what's the next big coin to move. And so I would imagine there's a, like a combinatorial or exponential kind of growth of message reach beyond my classic thinking around pump and dumps that is happening in crypto. Look, seven years ago, Telegram was used by like Russian hackers and like ISIS and that was it, right? Yep. Nobody even knew what Telegram, if you asked the Telegram, people were like, are you going to Western Union? Now, you know, your grandma uses Telegram. It's, totally. You know, it's on a phone, it's easily downloadable, everybody has it. It's ubiquitous, right? It, yep. And so what that means is that now people in the farthest reaches of every continent you can think of, people that don't have desktop computers, right? and have very limited cell phone access can still take part in this. It's we're crowdsourcing the universe here, right? Literally. And if you're looking, again, the spread of geographic countries, these are not all countries that are well connected. <laughs> these are not countries that have high degree of internet usage. And that sort of tells you something, which is that this problem is going to get worse. And because there yeah. is no regulation right now, I mean, in some ways, some of this you might argue is even legal. There's certainly people making the case for that, right? Sure, I mean, sure, absolutely. So that's sort of the problem here is, is that these agencies that normally would be tasked with enforcing the law and regulating this, they don't have any way of tracking what's going on in these rooms yeah. on Telegram because yeah. this is not what traditional intelligence providers are looking at. This is not the data that they're collecting. It's irrelevant to most of them, right? It's relevant to regulators. It's relevant to people that are doing the trading, right? Yeah. But the thing is, is that even then it needs to be crunched down. It's not enough just to do raw collections, right? It's not enough just to collect all the messages. What people need is, okay, these are all the messages. Now these are all the active pumps and these are the people organizing them and this is their reputational scores. 
we're cutting through the forest, right? There's this kind of rainforest in front of us. You can't see anything, right? We're kind of cutting a path through it so you can see what's going on, right? Understanding the reputational scores is very important. There are a small group of these people who, you know, we score between like zero and one, where like the highest score is like one, right? Some of these people have scores of like 97, 98. You can kind of guess how effective they are. And we're looking, and we're also, by the way, weighting our scores based on what's happened most recently, right? Even if someone was really successful like five years ago, but in the last month has done terrible, they won't have a good score. So if someone yeah. has like a 97 or a 98, that means that whatever they're doing is really impacting the market. They have a lot of people behind it. And it's really not unlike at all what you see with GameStop and AMC. It's very much the same. You have these hedge funds who are making these huge bets on the market and they're getting undone by people on Twitter. At least they can see the people on Reddit and Twitter. They have no idea what's going on in Telegram. It's invisible, right? It's basically invisible. Yeah. And that's the worst part. They don't even know it. Question for you. So it sounds like today Cloudburst is focused on the crypto market specifically. Is the technology you've built more broadly applicable? Like in the future, could you also look at equities or commodities markets? Exactly, Mundo. You just hit yeah. right on it, which is that the technology, look, we're, we're looking at volatile markets. We're trying to understand mm -hmm. that volatility. We're trying to understand where that volatility comes from and why. So we can basically move around it, right? We can avoid it. We can help educate people so that they don't get sucked into it. And there's really no reason why that should just be limited just to crypto, right? Again, uh, you know, I hate to bang on that drum, but people are losing tons of money on GameStop and AMC every day, right? These, these ridiculous bets. And as it happens, how? the same technology is applicable to that as well. So we touched on a minute ago how your technology could obviously be used by regulators and, and the people really charged with ensuring market integrity to better understand who is manipulating the market, what assets are being manipulated. But it seems like there's also a lot of value there if I'm an investor. You can oh, yeah. keep me out of being the, the exit liquidity for somebody else's scheme. Is that That's true? exactly what it is. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, look, you know, again, I think there are a lot of investors out there who have come up with very smart investment strategies. And these strategies are based on the idea that the market is legitimate, that all the actors are acting in rational, legitimate ways. And unfortunately, that is just not the case in the cryptocurrency market, right? Yeah. There is no rational movement. Things are moving arbitrarily. You can't just pretend that things are going to work the way you want. Our slogan is crypto is risky, invest in intelligence. And that's really what it is. Like if you're going to invest money in this market, you should also be investing money in making sure that things are secure, right? When you go into a bank, you pay bank fees, right? And those bank fees, what do they do? They ensure that your money is being protected. The bank is taking pains for cybersecurity, et cetera, et cetera, right? If you're doing it with crypto, you're sort of on your own to make those investments. And we are going to provide people with a much better sense of certainty about where the market is going and that they're not throwing their money into a dark hole, especially if they're investing a lot of money where it could be a lot of difference in terms of the price. For sure. It occurs to me that I think there's a distinction that's pretty widely held between, say, Bitcoin and Ethereum as being the most legitimate, least <laughs> manipulated. Yeah, And maybe you could add some of the other primary L1, L2 native tokens onto that list and then everything else. Right. And there's millions of tokens because it's so easy to create one on, on most of the EVM sure. compatible chains. Sure. 
you know, you or I could spin one up in the time we've been talking on this podcast and presumably start selling it by the end of the day. So low cost to create them. It, like, is that view accurate based on what you're seeing? Or is there manipulation happening in, in maybe some of the more credible, longer standing assets as well? Yeah, look, I mean, Initially, when we started doing this, everyone told us it's shit coins. Yeah, there may be some money in it, but it's shit coins. And we didn't yep. know what the answer was. And I'm reluctant to argue with people who know a lot about this market, right? Sure. So we decided to actually look and look at the ones that are being pumped. And yep. I think that was what was remarkable to us is that, yeah, sure, people are on the internet pumping shit coins all the time. But if you look, actually, as it turns out, most of the stuff that they're pumping, it has a market cap of at least a billion dollars. Yeah. And what we're seeing, like for instance, during the last few months of Elon Musk craze, where there has been a resulting also craze in like Dogecoin, right? Yeah. Ton of activity in shorts and pumps in Dogecoin. Organized shorts and pumps. That's what's, you know, it's not just pumps, it's also shorts. These guys are aggressively targeting these currencies. Yeah, I mean, they even do go after Ethereum and Bitcoin. How effective they are with those, it's a little harder to tell because it's a much larger market, right? Yeah. But I think it's fair to say that if you think it's it's just stuff that you would never touch or stuff that's just garbage coins that, yep. oh, I, I don't have to worry about that. No, 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 no. These are yeah. major market cap tokens that people have put a lot of money in. There's a large market cap. It's an active market. Don't be uh, deceived by thinking that this is all shit coins. It's the reverse. Another surprise to us. We didn't know that that was going to be the case. I've read some things that seem to point to, you know, even Bitcoin and Ethereum prices, a lot of the price movement is actually driven off of derivatives trading. Yeah. Right. Sure. And and so that's not necessarily like you can take so much more leverage because I think one of the thought processes that people go through is you go, OK, well, the market cap of Bitcoin is, you know, 800 billion. Yeah, yeah right. Currently, it was actually quite a bit higher than that. So it would be hard to amass enough capital to have market moving uh, effects. But if you suddenly are trading in futures contracts where you're 100x leverage, it's a lot less capital necessary to move the price on a short-term basis. And if you can amass a lot of people trading one direction or the other, it seems possible, but I haven't actually seen any data sort you know, of backing up the claims that that's really where some of the short-term price movement comes there's from. There's a couple of factors you have to keep in mind, which is that number one, frequently these folks target a, a single platform. They'll start target right. a single cryptocurrency exchange. So then mm. it's not just a matter of like, well, it's a huge this or that, they're targeting one exchange. So they actually have the ability to sort of move it within that exchange. Got and then it. the other thing is, and I think this sort of plays in exactly what you said, is, is that whenever you can get 4 million people moving all at once, you never know what's going to happen. Even with Bitcoin, if you can get them moving fast all at once, things can change. I mean, and I think that's sort of the moral of the story here, which is that volatility that you see in the market, a lot of that is false volatility. And it should be understood, the price of Bitcoin is not just radically changing day to day, right? Because of natural reasons. And if you don't understand why that's happening, you should take caution. That should be, yeah. that should be something that you should, you should like, that should be like, hmm, why is that happening? It's a great question to ask, right? I think people diving deeper into this, particularly if you're heavily invested, is like just good advice to try and try and reason about this stuff. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned centralized exchanges were frequently targets of this. Sure. What about DeFi platforms? Because I think we've 
We've heard a lot recently about how the safety of DeFi platforms, all transactions are on chain, therefore it's much harder for a centralized exchange shenanigans that we've seen in 2022 to be carried out. But what are you seeing there from a price well, manipulation look, standpoint? I'd, lo I'd love to be able to tell you that that logic makes sense, but unfortunately it's just not the case. They're targeting yeah. decentralized exchanges as well. I mean, sure, yeah. why not? That doesn't really mean anything to them, right? I think once again, it gets back to sort of the moral of the story, which is that decentralization and a lack of regulation does not translate to added security, does not translate to you're more secure or better off, right? That's not how it works. So decentralization is great. I understand the idea that people don't want central authority, but when you don't have central authority, that means that there's no one responsible for making sure things work right. And I think if anything, the world of crypto has taught us that people do not act in like beneficial ways for the hope of the universe. They act in their own best interests. What was the old mantra from Wall Street? Right? Greed is good, right? Well, if you believe in the central system, then you better hope that greed is good because that's the only other way it's gonna work. And the reality is that's not how things should work. Yeah, when greed is good, people start doing bad things. They start trying to undermine the system for their own benefit. And there has to be someone at some level who can step in and pull out those bad actors and isolate them because otherwise, you know, the apple ruining the, uh, the barrel, if the barrel is cryptocurrency, otherwise those rotten apples are going to ruin the entire barrel. It's exciting that you all are working on solving this problem. I'm curious, you know, maybe as, as we close up here, tell us about, you know, where the product is today. You guys launched out of Stealth a couple months ago. I'm sure people listening are going to get excited and say, oh man, I've got to get access to this data. How do they go about doing that? Sure. You can reach us through our website through LinkedIn. We have lots of different ways to contact us. I'm happy to talk more about the product. But again, look, we're trying to create something new for this market, right? Yeah. If you're trying to search for a bad actor, instead of trying to search by a wallet address, search by a phone number, search by a first name, last name. You know, the way you would normally do it, the way a bank would do it when they're doing a, a KYC search. Because a wallet address, what's the likelihood you're going to meet success? It's very low. The same this is actually same a way. great point I'd love to, to dig in on a little bit more. We sure. touched earlier that you're collecting effectively KYC information. Yeah. And you're doing that by looking across the dark web. So this is not people who have signed up for a service and you know, done the, here's my ID, kind of held it up to the screen. You're pulling together information, presumably across a bunch of different sources that allow you to get some level of real world identity on people. How yeah. effective is that? Like, I don't have any experience in this kind of How effective it is what this looks like. <laughs> Depends what methods you're using, right? Yeah. But look, we deal all in open source information, right? So okay. we're doing all passive data collection. We're doing everything is consensual, right? But the truth is, is that, and this is one of the great wonderful things about the internet is you can never imagine what people just throw up on the internet, just people post openly on the internet, right? And we, we see that sort of every day, but that allows us to really better understand who these folks are. A blockchain address is not a means to try to figure out who someone is, right? That's anonymous by its very nature, right? Being able to search by a first name, last name, a phone number, an email address, those are the kind of things that you know are more typical in terms of doing due diligence searches, KYC searches, and getting real results, like results that actually matter. We know right now that the cryptocurrency trading platforms and others, they have customers who they don't really want to have. These are bad actors, right? These are people who are stealing from them as well as everybody else, right? And they can't pull them out. There's no yeah. way for them to identify them. We have a much better way of doing that. And we're sort of moving closer and closer to where we can identify all the bad actors in this universe and kind of pull them out 
and say, look, if you want to do business with them, that's your business. But just understand, you're going to lose money by doing that. These people are engaged yeah. in behavior, which is inherently risky. And it's undoing the market. It's against everyone's interests. It's yeah. against the interests of the trading platforms, the investors, the regulators. This is against everyone's interest. And it's in everyone's interest to insure themselves against this problem. And I, again, I think, you know, look, ransomware, very easy to get headlines. Russian hackers, there's just so many cool things about that that make headlines. This is not as like sensational. It doesn't have that panache, but it's a much bigger problem. Again, the deep and dark web portion of this is just the tip of the iceberg. You start looking at like wash trades and all this, it's a huge amount of money. We can't just sit here and just let this happen and just say this is the cost of doing business. This is not the cost of doing business. This is avoidable risk. These are avoidable losses. Evan, this is amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. I love the discussion. Excited to see the product develop and uh, where you guys take Cloudburst. Thank you very much. It's been great chatting with you. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of Public Key. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and our newly launched TikTok channel, where we share our favorite moments captured in this podcast and other great content from the Chainalysis team. And if you're into crypto policy and financial compliance, I bet you'll enjoy our new YouTube show called Know Your Crypto Compliance, which is hosted by my awesome colleagues, Clark Flint Barr and Caitlin Barnett. On this public key episode you just finished listening to, it was all about market manipulation via pump and dump schemes. The Chainalysis team's gone deeper into this topic in a recent blog that evaluated all new tokens created in 2022. And it turns out about 24% of those tokens exhibit behavior consistent with this type of fraud. To learn more, head down to the show notes to read the entire blog. And of course, stay safe out there.